1: Welcome back in the third and final hour here on Tuesday morning. And hope you're having a good morning so far. I have a lot of energy for somebody who went to bed at 1 a.m. and got up at four. Mm. We'll see how that lasts for the rest of the day. And uh, I've got to go bowling today. I've got a pre-bowl for Thursday night's league because uh, I'm going to be in Randolph at the Turner Library on Thursday during during league time. So I got a pre-bowl and. I'm hoping that I can just last, just long enough to do, uh, you know, a decent job of, of pre bowling. Last week was the best week I've had in a couple of weeks, so I'm hoping that I can carry some of that momentum forward. But we'll see. I'm so inconsistent. If it's one thing I'm consistent with, it's inconsistency. So, if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to give me some bowling tips, you can send those in on the app chat. I'll be glad to take those. But uh, we were talking earlier in the program about the article I have up at WBSM.com and on the app about the armory. The city of New Bedford has now taken the armory in its possession from the Commonwealth and will soon be seeking, uh, they'll put out an RFP, a request for proposals. They'll be seeking ideas for a developer to come in and turn it into something. But as of right now, at least the state has put $3.8 million into it to repair the roof and make it a little bit more structurally sound so that it'll be more appealing for somebody to come in. And I don't know exactly what was done to it, but I do know that it will be an attractive property to somebody now that it's been fixed up because when it was in a state of disrepair and the, the Commonwealth put it up for auction a couple of times, they didn't really get any bites on it. I had actually talked with someone who is a pretty well-known business person in Massachusetts who has a lot of income at his disposal. And we talked about years ago, buying the armory and turning it into a, not only a museum, but also a place where people could go to learn about the paranormal and train to investigate the paranormal. And, you know, we would have a lot of workshops and special guest speakers and we could have a bookshop in there and all kinds of things. And, at the time, the armory could be had for a song. I mean, it was not that far off from what the city paid for it. They paid ten bucks. I mean, it was more than ten bucks, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't that big of a deal. But then, when he found out just how much had to be done on the inside, he said, "No, forget it. It would just. It, we would never recover. We would never recoup our what we put into it." So we kind of walked away from that. But that was, and that was very low level discussions. It never got to the point where we were serious about you know, really making a bid, making an offer, but it was a discussion that was being had and that was the hangup, is just how costly it would be for repairing the inside. So I don't know how much of the insides have been repaired by the Commonwealth. Hopefully they fixed the fact that the second floor had reportedly collapsed into the first floor. There was a fire there in 2009. So there was a lot of, um, lot of damage that had been done over the years that hopefully has been taken care of and will allow for someone to have a forward-thinking plan for that location. 508-996-0500. Also, you know, I talked about how the the armory is reportedly haunted. Let's not forget that it was featured in a first-season episode of the show Ghost Hunters, Uh, the TAPS team from Warwick, Rhode Island, which was actually featured in New Bedford native Steve Gonzales. You know, he's part of the, the TAPS team and part of Ghost Hunters. He was getting to return to his hometown for this investigation. And actually, Ghost Hunters did quite a few episodes in New Bedford over the years. They did the Armory. They did at least one private residence, maybe more. And then they also did uh, Fort Tabor. So I've, I remember those ones. There might have been more that I just didn't see because I stopped watching it after a while. But um, they, they came to New Bedford a few times. But when they did the Armory, that was the episode in which their sound person... Frank DeAngelis, who was not a member of the TAPS team. He was not a paranormal investigator. When these guys walk around and and these ladies, when they're walking around on the program, you know, when they're doing the investigation that gets filmed for television, they do have camera people that are following them around and they have sound people who are operating boom mics and who are monitoring any lav mics that they might be wearing on them. And this guy, Frank DeAngelis, was the sound technician. And as he was walking, and I believe he was carrying a boom, as he was walking alongside the investigators as they were investigating, something came up and kind of shoved him and caused his sound equipment, which was, you know, carried on his on a leather strap uh, over his shoulder, the sound equipment came up and hit him in the face. And he freaked out so much that he actually quit working on the show. He did not quit working on for Pilgrim Films, he just didn't want to work on Ghost Hunters anymore. So they put him on a different program. But that was a story that was corroborated with me, to, corroborated to me, with a number of cast members of that show. Uh, you know, everybody that has been on that show and that was in that episode, I've talked to them about that. And everybody has said to a person that you know, what happened really affected him and really freaked him out. And uh, and I, I've tried to get Frank D'Angelis on the record to talk about it, and he didn't want to talk about it, but it's certainly something that has been a standout moment in the, you know, just about 20-year history of that program. five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. speaking of Halloween in New Bedford, Barry Richard has an article today about, to borrow a title of a made-for-TV movie, The Halloween That Almost Wasn't. He looks back at the Halloween of 1982 during the Tylenol murder scare in which the New Bedford City Council actually made national headlines when they considered banning or, or, or putting a pause for that year on trick-or-treating. They were going to hold kids back from being able to trick-or-treat because of these kids who had been killed by ingesting Tylenol. And people say, well, that happened in Chicago. Why would we have to be concerned about something... Like that here in Massachusetts. Well, first of all, in those days, the panic that developed around these things was real. And it only took one story happening somewhere else for everybody to think it was going to be happening in their own neighborhood. But the other part of it is the man who was believed to be the Tylenol murders perpetrator, who was never charged with the crime. They couldn't get anything, any charges that would stick. But he eventually died last year in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So it wasn't that out of the realm of possibility that something like that could happen in Massachusetts. But you know how it goes. The stories circulate around. There's still the story that comes out every year for the last few years. That people are handing out cannabis candy to kids. That when they go trick-or-treating, they're giving them weed candy. I can promise you, Nobody is giving your kids weed candy. Why would they give your kids weed candy? Why the like, oh, let me go buy some weed so I can give it to a bunch of kids instead of having it for myself. Nobody's giving your kids weed candy. It's just panic, unnecessary panic. The same thing about, you know, there was razor blades in the candy bars. I've had a lot of candy bars over my, I've never had a razor blade show up in it once. I remember when I would go trick-or-treating at my grandparents' neighborhood in Randolph, my grandfather would insist on looking over all of our candy when we came back. He was being, he'd he look for razor blades, and he knew he knew he had this magic ability, this, this ability of discernment to know which candy somebody had put poison into. And it just so happened that it was all the peanut butter cups. So he would go through and he'd say, yep, this is poison, this is poison. This is poison. But yet he he could eat them because the poison only affected children. It didn't affect adults. So that's how he got all of our peanut butter cups and so some of our other candy. Some of it we would gladly give to him. He's the only person I ever knew that enjoyed a Mary Jane. I don't mean that Mary Jane. I mean the candy, the bit of honey, you know, all those ones that like you bite into them and then you have to go to the dentist afterwards because it shattered your teeth. He loved that stuff. And I would gladly give him those, but not the peanut butter cups. I'll, I'll take the risk. I'd rather ingest the poison than, uh, than watch somebody else eat my peanut butter cups. Anyway, 508-996-0500. But that's a very interesting story because it actually got to the point where it was covered on Nightline and New Bedford was covered in Nightline. They had the news here for that city council vote as to whether or not to ban trick-or-treating. And we've seen that happen in other towns and communities for other reasons over the years that they've considered getting rid of trick-or-treating. They've decided in some cases, in some towns, to move it off of actual Halloween and hold it on a weekend no matter when Halloween falls. They've also, in other communities, uh, put a restriction on what hours it can take place in or what neighborhoods it can take place in. And I think there's just a little bit too much regulation for something that happens one time a year that people know how to handle. We've gotten to, the, I mean, I see kids that put on a costume and then their mom or dad makes them put on a jacket because it's cold out. So I think we've moved past the, the, the time when, when people were unsafe. We understand how to be safe with trick-or-treating. Could it be safer? Always, of course. But I think that we can, we can safely do it And should be trusted as such. We don't have to move it to Saturday afternoon in the broad daylight. We don't have to make it so that, you know, only certain neighborhoods are safe because they have sidewalks. Trust us to trick or treat. And in fact, a lot of people don't even bother going to neighborhoods anymore and knocking on doors because so many people turn the light out and don't take part. I've seen a lot of complaints on social media this year about how much the candy costs, and so people are saying, "You know what? I'm just I'm going to turn my light off and not not hand out candy this year." So a lot of families will go to things like trunk retreat, or they'll go to you know the mall. That when I lived in Sandwich, we had a pretty good neighborhood. It wasn't huge; we could we could hit every house in the neighborhood. For trick-or-treating, and but then when you were done, you'd say, Well, there's still some time left, and then we would just hop in the car and we would drive down to the Cape Cod Mall and we would trick-or-treat from store to store. And you would you would get a pretty decent candy haul, but the important part was you got to show off your costume as much as you could. The mall trick-or-treating, I don't know if they still do it as much as they used to, but it was very underrated in my day. 508-996-0500, you are next on WBSM.
2: Hey, Tim, what's going on?
1: What's happening?
0: What's happening? Uh, yeah, trick-or-treating, man, I got to tell you, in the last 20 years, it really went downhill. Like My neighborhood used to be bumping for hours. Like, I'm talking 100, 200 kids coming through. And ever since the concept of trunk-or-treat, everybody got lazy, and everybody goes to one little spot. They get their haul, and they're like, okay, we're done. We're done for the day, and and that's it. And they they don't even do the uh, trick-or-treating anymore. And it's so – I used to have so much – I would hide in my own yard. I would jump. I would dress up myself as an adult, and my wife would be giving out the the candy, and I would just jump out and and scare kids. I'd chase them out of my yard. I would do all kinds of – and they had fun. We'd have a big speaker. Uh, We'd have, like – the kids would. The kids looked forward to coming to our house because of like all the random stuff that we used to do and entertain them.
1: I was going to say, now, you you, you chase them out of your yard. You chase them to trunk or treat.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The, the parents thought, uh, dude. The, the parents loved it because we would we would be like, hey, uh, you guys good with like some Jello shots? We give Jello shots to the adults. we be like, hey, trick or treat for you too. You guys are like pulling up with all the kids. Yeah. You guys can have a couple of Jello shots. And dude, the the parents used to love coming to us. Uh, I, it's it's almost gotten to the point where, um, yeah, like a little bit lazy, I think, and I think a little bit of a like soft. You know, we 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 can't go into the dark areas. Yeah, that was the best part. Like we used to actually, you know, have a a, a dim light, like a red light, for our uh, like front porch, so it was still creepy. We didn't completely light our area. And and that's it. I, I don't know. So I don't do know if it's like a, a, a sign of the times where where people are so overly conscious about oh we have to be careful. When when you and I were younger, I used to go out trick or treating by ourselves, like just a group of friends. We never needed our parents. This was even at like when I was like, you know, twelve years old. Mm-hmm. Now the parents need to be hovering over their kids consistently, and it's, I think it takes away the fun.
1: Unfortunately. Well, I think part of the reason why parents want to go with the kids is because there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in recent years, you know, not only, you know, worrying about whose house they're knocking on, but think about all the things that happen on Halloween that you don't want your kid getting mixed up in, you know, that it's, it used to be that if somebody went and toilet papered somebody's house or shaving cream their house or whatever, it was kind of all in good fun and people, people didn't get that worked up about it. Now, the next thing you know, the police are showing up at your door and and they want to arrest your kid for it. So, you know, I think that it's probably a good idea idea for parents to follow around their kids to make sure that they you know don't get into any kind of trouble like that or at least that they can say hey it wasn't my kid because i was with my kid the whole time
0: right i mean i i I get that but I, i you know there's another thing obviously the the whole the drugs thing you know i i've heard that even when i was a kid hey you know don't don't take that because you know don't take fruit because they gotta put razor blades in the apples right you know this whole scare tactic thing has been around for thirty, forty years. You know it's, it's nothing new. And if if you think, and I and I know a lot of these these older generation people think for some odd reason, people are giving away their marijuana gummy bears to a kid. Now those things are expensive, and I'm keeping them for myself. Right. As I would never, never give that to a kid, even if for you know for a little bit. Those things are so expensive. Why would I waste it on a 10-year-old? That, that's you know, And I'm not even going to see their reaction to it.
1: You know, right, yeah. Just, just go off and ha- and have fun, and I don't even get to experience what happened as a result of it, sure.
0: Exactly. So go out, bring your kids to the neighborhood, dress up, parents dress up, have fun, and just really stop taking away the... Don't be lazy. Don't go to the trunk of tree. Or if you're going to go to the trunk of tree, don't substitute that for... The Actual experience of going house to house, and you know, you get to see different neighborhoods, you get to see the the, the decorations, you get to see different people, and it's, it's just a some, lot more it, fun. And for some families, hall. you can get actually get a big haul.
1: For Dude. some families, that's the only time they ever see their neighbors is on Halloween. You know, that's the only way you know who lives in your neighborhood is by knocking on their door for, for trick or treat.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know who the fun ones are, too. You know, they're giving away the jello shots
1: like me. Right, exactly. There you go. All (laughs) right, right, Tim. Well, thank you for the call. You have a good day. And I know that for some people, you know, kids with sensory issues and things like that, you know, the trunk or treat option is a better controlled environment than just walking up to somebody's random door. You don't know who's going to have a strobe light or who's going to have something that's going to affect those kids. So I do get, like, that some kids want to take part in that, and it's better for some kids to take part in it. But, you know, I do like the the traditional trick-or-treat model the other part of it too is i you know just like that caller i would do up my yard and i wouldn't do it ahead of time i would always do it on halloween afternoon when i got home from work i would start laying out the decorations and then i would you know come up with different themes every year or different ideas based on the same decorations but just or whatever i'd acquired in, in the year since and just kind of come up with different scenes to make it a little bit altered from the last time the kids came, but I had the music playing with the, you know, the horror movie soundtracks and strobe lights and a fog machine and all that stuff. And I'd be there and Matt Costa would come over and he would jump out and scare kids. And like, we would really do it up to the point where we had to start offering full size candy bars to entice the kids to come up to our door. And we put a lot of work and effort into it. But then the last couple of years, just no kids came. So it wasn't worth going out there anymore and battling the wind and having to pick everything up again at 930. It just wasn't worth it anymore. So we we stopped doing it. And then the last couple of years, I just, I haven't even had to have candy. You know, this year I won't have any candy because I'm not going to have candy in the house. If nobody's going to take it, I'm not going to sit there and have it tempt me to eat it. So I just... You know, just probably won't participate, which is a shame. I'll probably be asleep because I have a I'm leaving right from here on Halloween to go do a lecture at Stonehill College at the Martin Institute, which you can come and take part in. It's open to the public. So um, I don't know. I'm sure by the end of that day, I'll be I'll be pretty fried. But. You never know how you're going to feel once that Halloween feeling is in the air. All right, i got to take a break. 508-996-0500. We'll be right back. All right, we have some callers on the line, but we have room for you at 508-996-0500. And we will go right back to the phones right after we go to the newsroom and get all the big stories of the day from Ariel Dorsey.
3: A vote for the new Speaker of the House is expected today. House Democratic Whip Catherine Clark confirmed the vote on Representative Jim Jordan will happen, but it is still unclear if Jordan will gather enough votes to secure the position. While the GOP holds a slight majority in the House, only four votes can be sacrificed to win, with some Republicans expressing concern about Jordan. President Biden is taking a trip to Israel. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Monday during a briefing after meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that the president will make the trip on Wednesday. Biden is expected to meet with Netanyahu and other Israeli leaders. Loved ones are saying goodbye to the six-year-old Palestinian-American boy who authorities say was stabbed to death by a Chicago-area man over the weekend. Hundreds gathered yesterday for the funeral of al Afayumi at the Mosque Foundation in Bridgeview, Illinois. Authorities say Wadiya was killed by his family's landlord who also attacked his mother. Police say the victims were targeted for being Muslim. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez claims the feds are hunting him down like prey. The Democratic strong reaction comes after a new criminal charge that he allegedly conspired to act as an agent for the government of Egypt in exchange for cash and gold bars. Menendez says he is not going to resign. Some Republican leaders are supporting Florida's efforts to block transgender transgender care for kids a brief signed by attorneys general from 18 states was filed last week asking a federal appeals court to overturn a clinton appointed judge's recent ruling the judge decided against a ban on medicaid medicaid coverage for gender affirming care for patients under the age of 18 Murders in the U.S. were down 6% in 2022. That's according to the latest crime statistics released by the FBI. The same report said violent crime decreased about 2% in 2022. And today we celebrate pasta, but it's more than what's for dinner. Breed tennis with a little background.
1: Today is National Pasta Day, and there are many myths about where it began. Pasta dates back to 1154 in Sicily, Italy, so that does predate Marco Polo's visit to China in 1271. The National Pasta Association says there are 350 different types of pasta, from angel hair to ziti. Hands down, Italy eats the most, but in the
3: States, people in New York show it the most love. I'm Bree Tennis, NBC News Radio. In sports, the Patriots are 1-5 for the first time since the 1995 season. New England will be looking to put an end to its three-game losing streak when it plays host to division rival this week. The Pats are taking on the Buffalo Bills Sunday afternoon at Gillette Stadium, and New England is last in the AFC East, while the Bills are currently second in the division. The Bruins could be looking to shake things up when they begin a four-game road trip. They will play the San Jose Sharks on Thursday. And the Celtics have been talking with guard Derek White about a contract extension talks are ongoing but nothing appears to be on the immediate horizon both sides however have on have an october 23rd deadline to reach an agreement boston continues its exhibition schedule tonight when it hosts the new york knicks at td garden now let's take a look at your local forecast with abc6
2: Happy Tuesday
0: morning. Thank you for joining us. Mostly clear skies this morning. Scattered showers on the Cape and Islands, upper 40s. And by mid-morning in the mid-50s, increasing clouds this afternoon with a spot shower. Temperature around 60. Still on the cold side, cloud cover diminishes overnight. A spot shower too on Newport and New Bedford. Tracking some unsettled weather Friday into Saturday. In the meantime, be sure to watch ABC6 for my full seven-day forecast. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm Meteorologist assessing Del Carmen on New Bedford's News Talk Station 1420 WBSM.
3: I'm Ariel Dorsey for WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's News Talk Station WBSM and get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app.
0: Tim wants to hear your voice this morning. Even if you can't call in. Open up the WBSM app and hit open line to record a voicemail he can play on the air. Now, more Tim here on WBSM.
1: And more with you at 508-996-0500. Good morning. You're next on WBSM. How are you, Tim? Good. How are you?
4: Good. Tim, when I lived in New Bedford, I lived in a condo where I never got one kid. Oh, really? A house, I, bought a house, I bought a house over in Swanson on the street where you go to the beach. Last year, I had 300. Wow. Yeah, yeah, well, it's year after COVID, so everybody started coming out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I made 300 bags this year, and I my so off.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think, yeah, I think that you're only going to see an increase now because people know that you're there. They know that you have the candy. They're going to tell all their friends to go.
4: Oh, yeah. we All the neighbors over here, We they decorate their yards, and then they, they dress up. I mean, it's like they, they, they walk around here in, in groups of 10 and 15
1: well what what are you what are you gonna be giving away in those bags what, what what are you putting in them
4: well i put assorted candy like the i bought a lot of the uh uh what do they call it uh bigger Twixie rolls lollipops everything in a mm-hmm. uh child's plate
1: so so no uh there's no um Weed gummies in there?
4: Oh no! No razor blades. See, doing that, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> I know it's uh, it's just it's ridiculous how much people talk about that stuff. But,
4: but I, I, already made, I already made up three hundred bags, and that's what they expect this year.
1: Well, hopefully that's enough. Uh, you know, hopefully there's one left over for you, so that you get to have a little Halloween candy. You too. Take care. Bye. And uh, we're getting some uh, some app chat messages too. Uh, El Jefe says, "I remember trick or treating to Domino's Pizza on Sawyer Street." Uh, between the Boulevard and the Ave, and they would hand us a slice of pizza on Halloween about 30 years ago. I mean, I, I remember being able to go to, um, in the Cape Cod Mall, I think it was the Papaginos, that you could get a slice of pizza on Halloween. Uh, and Cape John says, every Halloween we get around 200 trick-or-treaters. Our street reminds me of the scene from It's a Wonderful Life. So they, they are still out there in some neighborhoods. Uh, 508-996-0500. You're next on WBSM.
5: Yeah, so I was listening to the top of the news at the top of the hour. And Maura Healy's <clears throat> reaching out to the, to the federal government for help for the you know housing for the illegals that are coming in, and so I, I say to myself, the "State of Massachusetts is a sanctuary state. They encouraged it, right? So now Maura Healy is asking them to come. We've got space. Come on down. Now all of a sudden, we don't have space. And you know, I understand morally, maybe it's a high ground. Oh, we just want to help everybody, but she's a governor for everybody in this state, right? And if your responsibility, and I think is fiscal responsibility, being able to afford everything for the state, she's just, there is no plan there. How do you just encourage people to come over? It's like Thanksgiving, hey, everybody come over, but I've one Turkey and 25 people. Like, she's, that is just, I think, reckless and irresponsible. And the people that voted for her should be ashamed because
1: like, how do you encourage this and then, oh, by the way, I need help. Well, I mean, mean, and and I guess that's what the question is. The question is, was the plan to do this thinking that the federal government was going to come to the rescue and provide all kinds of aid? Or was it just poor planning to think, let's do this, but not realize how many families would try to come here? You know, now they're up to 75. Well, they think that by the end of the month, it'll be 7,500 families. Did they not think that that many would come? No,
5: I think they knew that many would come because there's you know because when you open the doors and you ask for it, you should have a plan okay we have x amount of dollars we have x amount of housing that we can house these folks in and we'll take x amount but no there there's there's just no planning just again it's just pandering to one side again of the constituency and there's some there's people that think it's the right thing to do to bring them in and i don't i don't disagree that if you can bring some in fine but now, it, it, it's, it's failing miserably. And again, for the folks in the, in, this, in the Commonwealth who maybe don't necessarily agree with it, you've got to always balance, okay, what is the best thing? So let's just take a few, right, and just help out when we can, but not open borders in the state of Massachusetts. So I, I totally blame this governor, and I think that she should be, you know, I think the voters should remember this, the next go-around, because this is just recklessness. And if she's reckless here, right, where else is she reckless on spending?
1: Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, how much control does she have over spending the rest of the way that the legislation is the legisl- legislation? Sorry, the legislature Spend- isn't it. taken care of.
5: Yeah, well, and again, it, it's just typical in the state of Massachusetts because it's, it's ruled by one party. There's no balance. Yes, we've had Republican governors in the past. But the, but to your point, the state house. The representatives and the senators have always significantly run one way. So there's just no balance in Massachusetts. It's all just come on down. You you know, we have plenty. Uh, you, You know, let's just be, I don't know. I don't want to get into the whole LGBTQ thing either because that's another other, you know, trap to fall into. But with that said, again, poor planning and a governor who's supposed to be, you know, smarter than the rest, right? Then is is absolutely not is just thinking. I think just what feels good to do.
1: Yeah, and I, I do think that there, she was also depending on the federal government coming in and, and providing a lot of the funding for this, and they just have not.
5: Right. So yeah, that's possible too. So.
1: All right. Well, thank you for the call. Alrighty, bye. have a good day and uh we're gonna take a break here but there's room for you at 508-996-0500 before we take that break though i want to let you know because uh, you know it's a little bit chilly out there i actually had to go around last night and make sure the windows were closed they weren't closed all the way i had that problem you know where like you've you close the bottom part of the window but you don't realize that the top part of the window is open and That's just one of the things that you don't think about when it comes to keeping your home nice and warm. So I closed that window and I said, oh, gee, it's still a little bit drafty over here. And then I started to wonder, well, maybe I need to have the windows replaced. That's why I'm going to call Precision Window and Kitchen, and you should too, because they have been doing it for a long time. They know all of those little pitfalls. They know all those little places where the cold air can come in on a morning like today. And what they'll do is they'll come down, they'll take a look. If they need to replace your windows, they'll let you know that. But if they think that there's something they can do to maybe insulate them a little bit better, to maybe make them hold in the warm air and keep out the cold air a little bit better, they'll do that too. They'll come down, they'll give you a free estimate. No obligation, free estimate. All you have to do is call them or stop by their showroom at 1111 A Cushioned Avenue in New Bedford and talk to them there. Or the easiest way, just go to precisionwindowandkitchen.com and you can sign up to have them come out and give you that free estimate. They'll look at your windows. They'll look at your doors. Maybe your entryway doors need to be rehung or replaced or need new weather stripping or other things that could possibly let some of that cold air in. And they'll also be willing if you need them to. They are available to replace your entire roof. Maybe that's where the cold air is coming in from, right? Maybe you've got some seam issues on your roof. Maybe you've got some some holes in your roof. They'll make sure that they can get that done for you in time before the snow comes and makes matters worse. So give them a call. Stop by and see them or check them out online. Precisionwindowandkitchen.com. They are Precision Window and Kitchen of New Bedford. They've been doing it for a long time. They've been doing it better than anybody, and they can do it for you. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. (laughs) We'll go right back to the phones in just a moment. But November's 2023 municipal election is coming up on Tuesday, November 7th. City residents will hit the polls and vote for who they want to see as mayor of New Bedford for the next four years. Will they give current mayor John Mitchell a sixth term in office or will Richard Tyson Moultrie get the nod? The city councilor at large race is the most interesting it's been in years. All five incumbents are running for re-election, but there are a few of the five challengers nipping at their heels. Ward 1 voters will once again decide between incumbent William Brad Markey and challenger Leo Chiquette. And the soon-to-be-open Ward 5 seat has come down to longtime counselor Joe Lopes against Zach Boyer. There are also uncontested races in the rest of the city's six wards, as well as for school committee and assessor. And even though the incumbents might not have a challenger, your voice and your vote are still just as important. Make a plan ahead of time for how you will vote. Will it be early voting, mail-in voting, or will you head to the polls on election day? No matter how you do it, go vote. This campaign to increase voter awareness is brought to you by WBSM and sponsored by Lang Exaferis, and Bullard, the New Bedford Housing Authority, the DeMello International Center, and Luzo Auto Center. So make sure you get out there and go vote. Really quickly, too, an app chat message from SA in New Bedford who says, can I get the address of the caller that gives out jello shots and weed gummies? Please and thank you all right 508-996-0500 good morning you're next on wbsm
2: hi i'm sorry to call back again no no problem but i was i was just talking to my brother and he said he saw the movie he's he's younger than me oh there you go anyway he said it was awesome he said it was really good so i'm coming to watch it again and then also i found out my father's cousin was in there
1: oh as a patient dead
2: yeah (laughs) Mm. it doesn't run in the family not on this side (laughs) Well, but, um, yeah, she was really. Uh, I guess she was bad.
1: When you do watch she, the movie, I'd be interested in, in seeing what you think about, hearing about what you think about it.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna see it. Yeah, I will. All
1: right, I won't, yeah, we'll very let, close to home. Let me know. <laughs> All righty, see ya. Take it easy. Bye. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. You're next on WBSM.
2: Yeah. Good morning, Tim. How you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, hanging in there. Could be better. You know, uh, my election, uh, my vote's going to depend on who takes care of our drinking water because. Uh, I've been having a strong odor of chlorine in the drinking water. So I called, uh, you know, a few people I know, uh, one that lives, uh, uh, that lives on, uh, next to Brooklawn Park on Wood Street. And I said, Are you getting problems with your drinking water? He said, Yeah, I'm getting the same thing. I'm getting a strong smell of chlorine. I've been buying bottled water. I live on, uh, I live, uh, in the West End. And so I called uh, another, A person I know in the South End, uh, he lives next to Roosevelt, and he's saying he's getting the same problem. A strong scent of chlorine, and it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. Uh, And uh, I used to make coffee in the morning, forget about it. So they better get on that problem up there in Rochester. Somebody's dumping uh, more chlorine uh, in our drinking water. It's been going on for weeks.
1: Have you, uh, have you reached out to City Hall to have somebody come down and test your water well, and I see? try to
2: get in contact with the mayor's office like trying to talk to the Pope. Uh, forget it, you know, but that's my vote. It's uh, hanging on. City Council and the mayor to get right on it because I've been buy- buying a lot of bottled water and it's starting to get expensive.
1: Well, the mayor should be here tomorrow with Chris and Marcus in the 11 o'clock hour if you want to give him a call and, and talk well, to him directly then. I hope then. he's
2: listening when he's getting out of bed right now and I hope that the city council is listening. If they want my vote, they better clean, clean up uh, this water because uh, this chlorine ain't cutting
1: it. All right. Well, thank you for the call. And uh, if you want to call in and react to that or anything else uh, in the final few moments of the program, 508-996-0500. Uh, Chris and Marcus are coming up next with South Coast Now, and they will have the mayor tomorrow. If you have any questions for him, that's always a good time to call and get him. But I... I For the most part, I've always found that the mayor's office is responsive to things. Uh, Maybe they just haven't been able to get an answer yet to to get back to you with, but I would think that would be something that they would know about. Uh, But if you are having the same issue, I think if everybody calls that's having the issue, then maybe that will kind of get things moving a little bit more. So if you are having that issue, one, one thing that I would recommend is, and this is not just about chlorine, but if there's anything that you're not happy about with your water, no matter where you live, is get one of those filters. I know that it seems like it's an expensive thing to do to go out and spend 30, 40 bucks for the filter and then to have to put a new filter in it every few months for for another 20, 25 bucks. But I can tell you that I have one and I find that it's uh, it's hugely helpful. I mean, I love drinking water from the tap, but I also love being able to have it be a little bit filtered. I also have a, a filter a filtered pitcher that I keep in the fridge uh, so it depends on, you know, because sometimes like in the in the summertime, the cold water doesn't come in as cold as I'd like it, but it's it does make a difference. And that doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have the best water in the world, it still kind of even clarifies it a little bit more. Let's take a quick call here. Good morning. You're next on WBSM. Hello. Hi, you're, hi, you're on the air. Hi, I was just wondering, I heard the other cover about her family in a movie.
5: I didn't get the name of the movie. Oh, yeah.
1: She had called earlier. So she had family that had been at Danvers State Hospital, and the movie was called Session Nine. It was filmed at Danvers State Hospital before it burned down.
5: Oh, okay. I'll have to look that
1: up. So it's Session Nine? Yep, Session Nine. It stars David Caruso from NYPD Blue and CSI Miami. Okay, great. All Thank right.
5: you for the update.
1: No problem. Let me know up what you think day. when you watch it. I will. All right. Thank take you. care. And uh, as, as we get closer to, to Halloween, we'll talk some more about some some great horror films. Uh, one that you want to put on your radar if you haven't seen it yet. I love it. Other people don't like it. It's, a, it's an acquired taste maybe for some people, but it's called Skinnamarink. It is basically, was like my nightmares as a kid come to life. And it's about two kids, young kids that wake up, their parents are gone, and all the doors and windows in their home are gone. And the whole movie is done from their perspective. Very creepy, very unnerving. Uh, that's really good. I'm also watching the fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Um about halfway through, and I don't really, you know, for a Mike Flanagan production, I don't I I, I get it that it's an Edgar Allan Poe um homage, but I just think that there's not enough scary stuff in it to to really keep me. On edge, but it's it's a it's very good. It's very well done. Great acting, as always, with all of his productions. So anyway, gonna take my final break of the program, be back in